Hey everyone, this is Wyatt. Welcome to Breadcrumbs, a new podcast tracing the trail of breadcrumbs from the Garden of Eden to the Empty Tomb. Breadcrumbs is intended to be a series of roughly 15-minute podcasts that are designed to be bite-sized, easy to understand, and easy to digest discussions of scripture. The plan is to upload new episodes twice a week on Sundays and Wednesdays. These episodes will be specifically geared towards our youth as an audience, but everyone is welcome to join in listening. I would invite you to send your comments or questions in, depending on the platform you're listening to, or to join in the conversation over on Facebook. My hope is that I might be able to answer some of the questions in later episodes, or maybe do a specific episode of just listener questions. So why am I doing this? During this time of uncertainty and change due to the spread of the coronavirus, our church staff is having to face the reality that some of our ministry settings are not necessarily generalizable to this new norm. With the new limitations on sizes of gatherings, we're looking to adapt and change to take advantage of new methods and technologies that will allow us to continue to minister to you. The goal with Breadcrumbs is to provide a new resource that will, to begin with, provide a method to continue shepherding the hearts of our youth by helping them to grow in their understanding of God's Word. Once our community returns to our previous normal ministry settings, the hope is that this resource will be able to come alongside existing ministries and continue in edifying and encouraging our youth and our church. This is by no means intended to replace our youth group or our youth Sunday school classes. Merely, this is an attempt to make use of new opportunities and new technologies to continue ministering in uncertain times. I'm new to this format, and I'm learning how these platforms work, but my goal is that as we learn together, these podcasts will continue to improve with time. So without any further ado, let's jump into our first devotional lesson, and let's dig in. I love stories. Love them. Whether it comes to a book or a movie, a well-written story that grips me emotionally and mentally can capture my imagination for years. When I was a kid, I was captivated by the legends of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table. And no, not the Monty Python one. I read every version that I could get my hands on over and over again. In high school, I became entranced with the Anglo-Saxon epic poem of Beowulf, this story of a lone warrior fighting the most fearsome creature to walk the earth absolutely gripped my imagination. I still try and read that story every year in January when the days are long and gray and cold. Stories do something to us. If a story is written well, we feel the weight of duty on the main character's shoulders. We see the dire need that they have to fill. We walk right with them when it seems that all the things hold in balance on a razor's edge. Good stories pick us up out of this world and take us somewhere else. And if they're really good, sometimes they impact the way we view this real world that we live in today. To explain the inspiration for this podcast, I want to tell you two stories. Both are connected to C.S. Lewis's masterful series, The Chronicles of Narnia. In his book, Lewis picks us up out of this world and transports us to another realm filled with knights and monsters, talking animals, mice with swords, and most of all, a lion king who is a lot like our own. I grew up during the years that Narnia was becoming a series of movies. I, I loved the films, but I never really got into the books, even though looking back, I wish I had. There's so much there, and it speaks so much into our lives. So to begin with, I'm going to take a deep dive into some really nerdy territory, 
but I'll bring us back as quickly as possible, and I promise it'll be worth it. When you pick up the Narnia series, particularly if you get a boxed set of books, or if you get them all in one volume, they're going to be in a specific order, what people consider to be the chronological order of the books. The thing is, every one of them is wrong. While C.S. Lewis never specifically instructed how he wanted the series to be read, from his letters and his own treatment of the topic, it seems like he wanted them to be read in publication order, which would have you beginning with what many consider to be the second book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But why does that matter? Would it make sense to read them in order of the way the events happened in the story? Well, not necessarily, because of a particular way that Lewis wrote the series. If you pick up starting with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you start with no prior knowledge of the world of Narnia, and you begin without knowing who the most important character really is. But that's how Lewis wanted you to read it. As you progress through the story, characters drop little references to this great and fearsome lion king who will one day come to free the world of Narnia from the tyrannical rule of this white witch that has brought perpetual winter on the land of Narnia. The main characters in the story, four children, know just about as much as you do as you read along. And the suspense builds in the story because they know that somehow there is some sort of rescuer coming to this world, but we really don't know who or what he is until he's finally there and he secures the victory over the evil white witch. This character, this Lion King, is Aslan. Lewis wrote Aslan as somewhat of a Christ figure in Narnia because in many ways, the Chronicles of Narnia are written as an allegorical story, retelling the gospel in a different literary way. Now, I would venture a guess that most of you know exactly where I'm going, and you're probably right. You see, scripture was written a lot like this as well. When we in America in the 21st century read the Bible, we read it through a New Testament lens and framework. We know who Jesus is, we know what he came to do, we know how he did it, and we know what happened as a result of it. But the original audience of Scripture, particularly these breadcrumbs we're going to talk about in the Old Testament, didn't have that luxury. Now, I've used the term breadcrumbs for a long time to refer to the hundreds, if not thousands, of places in Scripture that point to Jesus, to who he is, what he's coming to do, and how he's going to accomplish it. It's like what, what I said in the introduction. There's this trail of breadcrumbs that leads from the Garden of Eden to the foot of the cross in the empty tomb. I love this term because of how it connects to what Jesus said about himself in John 6.35, where we read that Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. My goal in this podcast is to explore this trail of breadcrumbs. I'm hoping to go through all these glimpses ahead that we find in Scripture that all point to Christ. But I want to do it by looking particularly what it would have been like to see these glimpses ahead without a New Testament lens. 
then I do want to make sure to connect them all to Christ and to see how they do impact us today and how the New Testament speaks to them. My hope is that in doing this, we can build a little bit more of this weight and anticipation into these breadcrumbs to replicate some of that eager anticipation that the audience would have felt just like the characters in Narnia felt as they waited for Aslan to appear. The second story that I want to share with you is actually an excerpt from the Narnia series itself. This is a passage from the book Prince Caspian, which is technically the second one you should read them in the correct order. It takes place about 100 years after the first book, where old Narnia, where the mythical creatures and warrior animals ruled the land, are now thought of as fairy tales and fables. The main character, Prince Caspian, loves the stories of old Narnia and wishes that he could have lived in that day. At the command of his father, he's assigned a tutor to begin teaching him everything that he will need to know to be king. Caspian describes his tutor earlier on in the book as the smallest and also the fattest man that he had ever seen, who had a long, silvery, pointed beard, which came down to his waist. And his face, which was brown and covered with wrinkles, looked very wise, very ugly, and very kind. His voice was grave and his eyes were merry, so that until you got to know him really well, it was hard to know when he was joking and when he was serious. His name was Dr. Cornelius. So with the arrival of his new tutor, little does Caspian know, his life is about to turn in an entirely new direction. A few days later, his tutor said, Tonight, I'm going to give you a lesson in astronomy. At dead of night, two noble planets, Tarva and Alambul, will pass within one degree of each other. Such a conjunction has not occurred for 200 years, and your highness will not live to see it again. It will be best if you go to bed a little earlier than usual, and when the time for the conjunction draws near, I will come and wake you. This didn't seem to have anything to do with old Narnia, which was what Caspian really wanted to hear. But getting up in the middle of the night is always interesting, and he was moderately pleased. When he went to bed that night, he thought at first that it would be hard for him to sleep. But he soon dropped off, and it seemed only a few minutes before he felt someone gently shaking him awake. He sat up in bed and saw that the room was full of moonlight. Dr. Cornelius, muffled in a hooded robe and holding a small lamp in his hand, stood by the bedside. Caspian remembered at once what they were going to do. He got up and put on some clothes. Although it was a summer night, it felt colder than he had expected, and was quite glad when the doctor wrapped him in a robe like his own and gave him a pair of warm, soft buckskins for his feet. A moment later, both muffled so that they could hardly be seen in the dark, and both shod so that they could almost make no noise, master and pupil left the room. Caspian followed the doctor through many passages and up several staircases, and at last, through a little door in a turret, they came upon the leads. On one side, there were the battlements, and on the other, a steep roof. Below them, all shadowy and shimmery, the castle gardens. Above them, stars and moon. Presently came to another door, which led them to the great central tower of the whole castle. Dr. Cornelius unlocked it, and they began to climb the dark, winding stair of the tower. Caspian was becoming pretty excited. He had never been allowed up this stair before. 
It was a long and steep stair, but they came out of the roof of the tower and Caspian had got his breath. He felt as if it had been all worth it. Away on his right, he could see, rather indistinctly, the western mountains. On his left was the gleam of the great river, and everything was so quiet that he could hear the sound of the great waterfall at Beaver's Dam a mile away. There was no difficulty in picking up the two stars that they had come to see. They hung rather low in the southern sky, almost as if it was bright, two little moons that were very close together. Are they going to have a collision? he asked in an awestruck voice. No, dear prince, said the doctor, and he too spoke in a whisper. The great lords of the upper sky know their dance too well for that. Look well upon them. Their meeting is fortunate, and it means some great good for the realm of Narnia. Tarva and the lord of victory salutes Alambal, the lady of peace. They are just coming to their nearest. It's a pity that that tree gets in the way, said Caspian. We'd really see it better from the west tower, though it's not so high. Dr. Cornelius said nothing for about two minutes, but stood still with his eyes fixed on Tarva and Alambal. Then he drew a deep breath and turned to Caspian. There, he said, you have seen what no man alive has seen, nor will see again. And you are right, we should have seen it better from the smaller tower. But I brought you here for another reason. Caspian looked up at him, but the doctor's hood concealed most of his face. The virtue of this tower, said Dr. Cornelius, is that we have six empty rooms beneath us, and a long stair, and the door at the bottom of the stair is locked. We cannot be overheard. Are you going to tell me what you wouldn't tell me the other day, asked Capian? I am, said the doctor. But remember, you and I must never talk about these things except here, on the very top of the great tower. No, that's a promise, said Caspian. But do go on, please. Listen, said the doctor. All that you have heard about old Narnia is true. It's not the land of men. It's the country of Aslan. So what just happened? What was all the big deal? Well, Prince Caspian's father and other men who come from another land had conquered Narnia years prior. And they'd attempted not only to destroy Narnia, but also to destroy any memory of it as well. But now... Everything has changed. What Caspian once thought of as legend and myth is now something totally different. All that you've heard about Narnia is true. With one sentence, Caspian's world is changed completely and irreversibly. That one sentence completely changes how he understands the past, how the past reflects on who he is in that moment, and as you'll see if you read the book, it totally alters the course of his life. His entire world and how he thinks about it is changed with one sentence. But here's the thing. When you pick up a copy of the Bible and you begin to read it, it has the potential to do the same thing that that one single sentence did to Caspian. Because all the old stories are true. The universe spoken 
into existence, life from the very breath of God, the whole world wiped out except for the family of one man who listened to God, an entire nation walking through sea on dry land, a city completely reduced to rubble at the sound of trumpets, a blind judge who was stronger in defeat than in his prime, the prophets of a false god incinerated along with their very stone altars. All these old stories are true. But most of all, what is true are the stories of the suffering servant, the humble lion king made to be the sacrificial lamb, the bread of life who shed his blood on a cross made from a tree that he himself brought to life, a king so strong, so glorious, so pure that even the grave couldn't declare victory over him. All these old stories are true. 43% of the Bible is narrative, stories of historical events that actually happened. But not only do these stories present us with breadcrumbs that lead us to the empty tomb, but so do the poems and writings in the Bible and especially the prophecy. These stories are stories that many of us have been acquainted with for all our lives. For some of it, it was bedtime stories and storybook Bibles as little kids, or maybe Sunday school lessons early on. Many others have only heard of these stories later on in their life, and some even just recently. But the beauty is, these stories are real. They're true. They really happened. Like the stories of old Narnia that completely changed Prince Caspian's life, these stories completely and undeniably affect that we view the past, what it is and what we think about it, why it happened the way it did. These stories have the final say on who we are, why we're alive, and what we're doing in this world, and they have the capacity and the authority to completely change the course of our lives. Our whole world bows to the knee to what Scripture says. But then, this book isn't just about moral betterment, being a good person, or doing the right things. It's not even just about being able to better understand who God is. This book is one grand, sweeping, true story of how God spoke everything into existence for His glory and His purpose how it went wrong and became corrupted and defiled, and how God through Christ is redeeming and reconciling a broken world, and particularly a broken humanity, back to Him. It's a picture that gives us an answer to why things in this world are sometimes bleak, frightening, or just plain bad. And it shows that freedom from fear, freedom from want, freedom from sickness, Death, and particularly sin, is very possible, but it's only possible through Jesus Christ. Now, the question some of you may be asking at this point is, well, so what? What is this and what do these stories have to do with what's going on in this world right now? For the foreseeable future, it looks like we're going to have a lot of time on our hands and a lot of time for stories whether it's movies, comics, or, or books, and especially the Bible. Now, 
Shameless plug here. If you're stuck at home, I would totally recommend reading the Narnia series, particularly if you can read them with your family. During this time, though, we really need the stories of the Bible, the true stories, the true picture of God making the world right, redeeming it, reconciling it to himself, and recreating a world where there is no more sickness, no more disease, and no more want, and most of all, where the nearness to God is our good, and where there will be nothing to hinder our communion with him and worship of him. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Breadcrumbs. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode so far and that it's been encouraging to you. We went a little heavy on the nerdiness this time, and yes, we did go a little long. Our next episode will be posted this coming Sunday, and we'll be looking at the first breadcrumb in Scripture together. We'll spend a lot more time in the text in the coming episodes, so hopefully it will not only give you an excuse to listen in, but it will make you want to get into the Word yourself. This is a very fluid situation that we find ourselves in, and we're still unsure of how long it will be until we're able to return to our normal ministry settings. Our hope is that we'll continue to be able to provide resources for you through online content like this podcast and other means. For any other adults who may find themselves listening to this podcast, we would ask you to prayerfully consider making use of our online system of tithing to continue your contribution to this church. While some expenses may indeed get less during this time, very few of our church's bills will actually see change. Your tithes and donations are not only going to continue to pay these bills and to pay staff salaries, but it will also ensure the ability for Olivet to continue to minister to you in the same capacity in the future once things finally return to normal. Any gifts during this time are huge blessings, and they'll be put to these ministries in the same way we would have put them there in the past. The elders, pastors, and staff here at Olivet want you all to know we love you, we're praying for you, and we're still here for you if you need our help. We would be honored and happy to find ways in which we can still minister to you in these weird times. Again, thank you all for listening. Let's do this again sometime.